Today's show is sponsored by our friends at Orca Coors. And yes, it is March Madness. It is that time in college basketball season, but it is dad season year long. If you use code DADSEASON at orcacoolers.com, you will get 20% off your order. Find those college tumblers, find those college coolers, find whiskey barrel tumblers. Only at orcacoolers.com, they have roto-molded coolers that are bear-proof, and they're awesome. Go ahead and go to orcacoolers.com, use code DADSEASON. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at Action247.com, Tennessee's only sports book by Tennesseans for Tennesseans. Again, it's March Madness. There's a lot going on. There are going to be weekend parlays on Thursday and Friday of this week. Put $50 on a college basketball parlay plus 500 odds or greater and get a $15 free bet if it doesn't hit. And this Sunday, they have seven games going on starting at 2.30. They will use their hoops parlays with an NBA parlay bet to get. Also, this weekend, continuing the college basketball parlays, there is a lot going on with our friends at Action247.com. And if you use code DADS100, they will match half of your first deposit up to 400 bucks. So that's if you put $800 down, they will match up to $400 of it. Only if you use code DADS100 at Action247.com. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at distilleryproducts.com. If you are a whiskey group, if you are a podcast, if you're a store, if you're a distillery, and you want wholesale laser edge glassware, you know there's only one place to get it, and that is distilleryproducts.com. All the big distilleries use them, we use them, and they do good work. They also have cool merch and swag that you can put your stuff on too, like flasks and bar tools and all sorts of cool stuff check them out see our friends carson janey vicky it's a family affair over there at distilleryproducts.com yeah I'll, I'll bring it back up man it's just yeah we've been a fan of the show for a long time so we finally meet the minimum criteria so we can be on it <laughs> you are a dad you drink bourbon there see that's the thing it gets everybody yeah. so hung up and the truth of the matter is we tell everyone like the only thing dads does is signify who we are, but everybody else is welcome. We are two dads drinking bourbon, but everybody is welcome to drink bourbon with us. I, I just thought that was the minimum threshold. So we, you know, we now have an eight month old. So I feel like we're like welcome on the show. No, our Facebook group, it's like people fighting within there. They're like, you can't be in our Facebook group. You're not a dad. And I'm like, no, that's just who Zeke and I are. Everybody else could be in this group. The group is yeah, I feel four. Like, I feel like it'd be creepier if you were in a mom's group on Facebook because a lot of that's more like parenting advice. And I think that gets into some weird gray area stuff. But yeah, I mean. Surprisingly enough, I am a very, very, very involved dad. And I am happy to give advice to anybody who asks. I will also say that anybody who tells you their advice is rock solid is full of shit because it is a suggestion. The baby will tell you whether or not they agree. Yeah, that's that's the only thing we figured out is that we know actually very little and we just try to listen to him. Um, and he, you know, he, he guides that decision making pretty well. everyone my name is john edwards zeke baker is off with his kids but together we make the dad trick of bourbon wherever you are whatever time it is thank you for making us part of your day for those of you on this instagram live we don't do it that often 
We used to do it all the time. That's how we started dads back in 2016 is we were always on Instagram live Sunday nights at nine. We realized people don't like seeing us as much. And I think it's more me than Zeke. People like seeing Zeke. People like seeing his mustache. People don't love seeing me as much. So we now do primarily podcasts. We haven't gone live in forever. I think we tried going live last in 2020. And uh, that kind of would, it, it was a pandemic thing that really fizzled out quick. But I have with me tonight, we have Brett Connors, who is the master blender, or sorry, the head blender at Castle and Key. One day he's going to be a master blender. We know. We know he is. But thank you very much for, for coming on and going Instagram live with us. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure. I'm super excited for it. You know, earlier when we were bantering, I said, I finally meet the minimum criteria for being on dad's drinking bourbon. We have a eight month old now and I've drank bourbon for, you know, well over a decade. So like, I think we're good to go now. I think you are absolutely good to go. And I think you have been working at Castle and Key since 2016. It is a huge time for y'all because you're finally releasing your own bourbon. Some of it kind of snuck out with that pinhook stuff before, yeah. but this is now officially what you decided to call the Castle and Key straight bourbon whiskey. It's coming out in two batches. The First of all, for those of you that haven't seen this, it is a hell of a good looking bottle. Like just the detail, even with the restoration rye, I would say you guys, it's a nice heavy bottle. It is a huge, like, it just feels fancy, the weight of it, and then all the detail on it. It's a, I feel like you were recreating the front of the distillery with all the stone on there. Exactly. Yeah, I can't take credit for that. You know, we're, I'm on generally the quality side and product side, so I'm really passionate about what's inside the bottle. But, you know, we worked with Stranger and Stranger for all the bottle design, for all that bespoke glass, the labels. Um, if, if you're in the nerdy um, marketing advertising world, they've done brands like Compass Box. Like, they're absolutely the best of what they do. Um, you know, I've never really cared about what a bottle looks like until I saw this one. And then I was all of a sudden pretty hyped. Um, so, you know, they just, they did an amazing job. We have some really good partners. They are no stranger now. <laughs> I will say that as we, you know, so there's some people that are on here. Um, Angel Share Podcast. Yes, we we used to do lives all the time. It's not a new thing. Basement Rick House, nice to see y'all. I saw uh, Don Ross was on here, son of Don. If you all have questions, feel free to throw them on while you know we have a conversation about this Castle and Key whiskey, uh, the bourbon that just came out. I'm going to bug him about this. He's going to tell me about it. We're going to drink it. But if you have questions as we go along, put them on the bottom. I will try to get to them the best I can tell me a little bit about this whiskey and how you got to it. Um, especially from the blending. Cause y'all have been distilling over there, getting a lot done in a, a long time. Tell me about the mash bill that went into this, the barrels you selected, all that good fun stuff. Yeah. So we'll, we'll do the whole thing. You know, I think where I like to start is really the beginning of the project. You know, when I first met uh, Will and Wes, as like with the founding partners of the facility, you know, Will Arvin was an attorney by trade, drinker by passion. 
And one of the things I was most excited about when I first met them is they didn't want to source whiskey, which was an extremely bizarre idea. You know, their vision was always, we're going to wait. We're only going to sort, we're only going to make our own whiskey from grain to glass. We're only going to bottle things that we've made ourselves. We're going to sell whiskey to other people, you know, produce whiskey for other brands. Um, but they never, you know, they didn't want to go up to Indiana and buy a bunch of, you know, four or five year old at that point, that would have been probably a better financial uh, decision than waiting. But, you know, there's definitely some different avenues to market, but I thought it was kind of crazy that they wanted to wait, but I was also excited by that. You know, we like that kind of ownership perspective. So that's where we've been, you know, distilling for other people, you know, blending for other clients, bottling for other clients, just helping other people get their names out there. But finally, you know, this is the first true Castle and Key bourbon that's hit market. It's our proprietary distillate. You know, we waited a minimum of four years to release it. The youngest barrel in this is four years old. So now we get to talk about all the barrel breakdown stuff. Well, you said the youngest barrel is four years old. Mm -hmm. What's the oldest barrel that's in here? Oh, man, uh, five years and four, five, four months, five years, five months is probably the youngest barrel that's in here. That's um, pretty good. I mean, that's got to be close to right in the beginning when you first started. It was. I mean, I think we learned a lot of lessons in November of 2016 when we turned on the still for the fifth, first time in over 50 years. I mean, that was the first distillate that had been produced at the historical Taylor Distillery in literally five decades since... Um, 1972. So um, initially, the distillate was good. You know, I think our team worked really hard to dial it in. Um, as the months progressed, we got really, really good at distilling. So, you know, I think some of our earliest distillates, not necessarily our best distillate, but I think it was really very, very useful in trying to get this blend together. What is the mash bill? That's a question that yeah. my good friend Bourbon to the Maxwell had asked in here. Yeah, we're super transparent about it. Uh, the grain bill is 63% white corn, 10% rye, and 17% malted barley. So the two kind of per, uh, wait, did I say 63? Sorry, I can't math. It's 10 <laughs> o'clock. We are we normally go to bed at like nine, man. Again, we have an eight month old. 73% white corn, 10% rye, 17% malted barley. Yeah, let me shake this one out. No, it's um, okay. What I will tell you is this: this is what's going to happen further and, and further along in your baby's development. So we used to be able to record at eight and then as they get older, so now, you know, that would have been nine year time, but as they get older, yeah. their bedtime extends, especially when they learn to say no. So <laughs> I'm terrified. I, I can't tell you how many times we have had people that will not come on with us because we're like, listen, we got to do it at night. Like we're, we're going to get divorced if we keep taking family time away. Totally understand. My, our only rule is I have to be there for bedtime. So we were, yes. yeah, we were with barrel Rick house earlier tonight and I literally said, okay, it's great. I got to go at seven 30. See y'all. And I just left it, Irish exit. I wish I could have said bye better, but yeah, I had to get home for bedtime. It's a big deal here. It is the same thing, especially when they start to say, no, you need that backup. And that is my number one rule. It's like, if there's an event, it's like, it either needs to be really early or after bedtime. Yeah. If anyone wants to go catch a beer, I like a good four o'clock beer um, <laughs> or a whiskey, you know, I'm pretty open to either. So yeah, hit me up uh, four or five at the latest. Yeah. I like to be home by about six. Yeah. I am right there with you. So you have that mash bill at 73% white corn, 17% yeah. barley, 10% rye. 
what did you do for barrels? Did you go to different Rick or did you go to different Cooperages or did you see, I have basement Rick house on the brain. I just wanted to say Rick house over and over, but oh, um, they, they want you to hype them up too. Uh, you know, shout out to their TikTok, right? Um, one of the best TikToks out there. One time some, or sometime I hope to go up there and drink with them. I do have to say though, I feel like such a dad. I can't figure out TikTok. <laughs> And it's also like, I really wish I could do the reels and the videos where like you do the voiceover and then do stuff yep. on top of it. And like, and I do audio, right? Like I, I edit audio every week and I do all that stuff. I can't figure that stuff out. So if somebody wants to teach Logan me. Then, yeah. You got to get with Logan, come to Frankfurt. They're literally like a seven minute drive from my house. Um, their basement's way better than mine. Mine's unfinished. We live by the river. Um, there's this pretty, Theirs is pretty sick. I'll be honest. Wait, it's you good. live down by the river? Yeah, I, I, dude, it's Kentucky, man. Most people actually live down by a river, if not the river. I know. Um, so. I I am a proud UK grad, so I I know yeah, all grad. about all the stuff. So, cool. what Cooperages did you go to 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 go get some barrels? Yeah, I mean, I think we were pretty fortunate in the beginning. You know, our previous master distiller, Marianne Eves, who's an absolute all star. She had a really good relationship with a guy named Derek who actually worked for Brown Foreman's Cooperage. And right around the time we were starting our project, he actually disembarked to, uh, to go work with Speyside Cooperage, which is in Jackson, Ohio. So Speyside is like the big boy in the room for fine, for fine French oak, for used Cooperage sourcing. Um, they were kind of frustrated with the quality they were getting used barrels in. So they literally started their own facility. They laser measure and cut and then cut their staves. So their joinings really nice, wider bands. They natively toast all their barrels. So all of our barrels are toasted, which we were just doing for flavor historically. And now people are like, Oh my God, it's toasted bourbon. And I'm like, Oh cool, man. It just gets, you know, it helps you get the wood sugars more effectively. So they were elementally toasting their barrels natively. And then they were, uh, we were, were sourcing a, at first both char three and char four barrels. Um, just to kind of try to figure out what our distillate was looking for. Um, so in the beginning, this blend is actually a mixture of all Speyside barrels, but they're both Char 3 and Char 4. All those barrels are toasted, uh, which is pretty cool. We've, you know, being a contract distiller as well, you know, we're really spoiled that we've gotten to fill barrels from Kelvin, Zach, um, ISC. So we've kind of gotten to see like the gamut of barrels that people fill. Um Shout out, I need West Virginia Barrel Company to send me some barrels. I've heard great things and I want to check them out. Um, but, you know, we're pretty persnickety. The space side, they're longer, older wood, longer seasoning times. You know, they're doing everything that's kind of check, check, check on the quality side. Um, I do maturation, right? I'm, you know, as a blender, like I care a lot about what happens when it's going into wood. Um, but frankly, I think we made a really strong decision working with space side. And then warehouse, this is aged completely in warehouse B on our facilities grounds, which is the second brick warehouse E.H. Taylor built on site. It's actually the longest aging warehouse that's uh, of its design in the world. It's a APH sits old patent warehouse. So it's beautiful. That is awesome. I mean, the whole facility is beautiful. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. uh, I only got to drive by it. Now I know that being, you know, four hours away, three hours away in, in Nashville, it's easier for me to get up there. You know, with the kid, it's like, you're going where? 
and how long are you going to be gone for? So I don't get to get up. Like I really have to have a good reason to go up to Kentucky and it's not. Uh, so I was hitting a bunch of distilleries over there. I drove by, you happened to be closed at the time I was driving by. So I got to see it and I'd seen it before, you know, as the old Taylor distillery, but y'all did a great job at restoring that place. All the pictures you see, the inside of it is incredible. You mentioned the still though. And when we talk about the restoration of castle and key and the old Taylor distillery, is it the same still, or did you have to upgrade parts? Did you bring in a new still? What happened there? Um, you know, I think initially we thought all the old production vessels were going to be a totality of loss. Uh, but then after really looking at some of the vessels, we were able to retrofit a good bit of the actual, like, you know, the grain bins and the fermentation vessels are actually from the 50s. You know, our scale hoppers from the 30s. Our cooker is from probably the 30s with then some back-end modification. So a lot of that stuff was all brand new pipes, you know, steam lines, water lines, product lines, all that was brand spanking new. Um, there was a massive 72-inch stainless steel column that was abandoned <laughs> on site. Um, if you want it, let me know. If It's probably going to be a really sick fuel ethanol still. Like, I think it could make um, some really good fuel. Um, whiskey, maybe not. So we upgraded. We worked with Rob Sherman at Vendome. Um, we installed a gorgeous 24-inch column um, that's tied to a 375-gallon uh, doubler. And then that was everything that is in this bottle was distilled on that 24-inch column. And then in 2018, we actually upgraded again to a massive 32-inch column. So theoretically, we can run both in tandem, but most of the time we run the 32 right now, the 600-gallon doubler. So it's an awesome system. If you've never had the chance to go visit Rob Sherman at Vendome, they're not like super open to public tours. But, um, you know, rumor is if you drop him off like a bunch of rare whiskey, like he's willing to hear you out about it. <laughs> um, they're artists. They're the best in the world at what they do. You know, I think malt whiskey, I really do like Forsyth stills as well if you're distilling like from a wart. But, I mean, Vendome is – they're artists. They're phenomenal. They're amazing to work with. Um, they don't negotiate and they're on like a two- to three-year lead time. So you, there's that. Um, but you pay for what you get. A hundred percent. And, uh, the, the interesting thing, the 72 inch still that I have an idea cause I don't know how many fuel yeah. ethanol producers are, are going to be running and are listening to this live right now. <laughs> you could, because you know, Castle and Keys merch, I'm always thinking about, you know, the, the marketing and the merch, you could kind of cut them into home bars and have a little home bar put a couple of shelves in there Ooh, man that would be a very large home bar um if yeah the backyard it would work yeah that or nfts man i don't know we could sell <laughs> rights to it um just gonna leave it out in the back you know by by an old graveyard actually currently so um maybe maybe not the most useful for us but if somebody wants it let us know man um before we get into this whiskey, I do want to talk about you. And Logan, I know you have some good questions in there. I, I will get to those when it is free question and answer time. But I want everybody to know a little bit more about Brett. Because I think Brett has a very interesting story. Not only he he did attend a basketball school. It wasn't the University of Kentucky. It was George Mason University. 
but you graduated with a double major. And this is what I find really interesting. Your double major was art history and conflict analysis resolution. And then you went on to get a dual master's program. So my boy here is wicked smart. And you not only went to uh, the, the master's program was between George Mason and the University of Malta, of all places. So the the crazy thing, the crazy thing there is you probably got to go study over in Malta a little bit and okay. study in Virginia. Um, how the hell did you find yourself doing whiskey? That's a really good question. I still am actually kind of confused by it. Um, yeah, I know. I really, I went to school. I wanted to do art history. I thought I wanted to curate museums and then I didn't speak any other languages and uh, you know, I didn't want to get a PhD, frankly. So my like mentor in life was instrumental in the field of conflict analysis and resolution, which is a lot of, it's kind of political science meets sociology and anthropology. It's a, I think a very useful career, especially in like the modern climate of the world. It's just, let's find better solutions. There's got to be it. And that's in business. That's in politics. That's just in life and your personal relationships. And, um, I loved it. And then two of my really good friends, um, Andrew Cookson, I think was on here for a little bit. I lived with him in college for a couple of years. And then Adam Scalise is another guy. Um, we just didn't know what we wanted when we grew up. So we were like, well, you know, let's go get our master's in Malta. So we, uh, lived in Malta for a year. Um, it was, probably one of the coolest things I've ever done. It's a, if for people who don't know where it is, it's South of Sicily. So it was a British naval base for a while. So it's like this, it has kind of this like Mediterranean feel to it. Um, but it's a very distinct and kind of unique culture down there. Um, we lived waterfront, which was the craziest thing ever. You know, we were used to DC like rental prices, you know, Fairfax. So I remember we got off the plane and we'd had no place to live. We were staying in like a hostel and our real estate agent picked us up and he was like, we said, we told him our budget and it was like, you know, like six, 700 bucks a person per month. You know, we we're like, dude, we can't, we got to keep it under like 2k a month for all three of us. And he was like bemoaning it. Like, I'm not going to find you anything. Like, you're not going to have a pool. You're not going to have a roof rooftop. And we're like, what are you talking about, dude? He's like, he's like, oh yeah. And like all the Americans who come here, they come here to party. So they want like penthouses. I'm like, no, we're, we're here for school, man. He's like, Oh, well, I can get you on like the first floor, like waterfront, if you want that. So our apartment was literally <laughs> beside a cafe. Um, you could see the sunrise every morning. The cafe would like hand us up espressos and like croissants in the morning. Um, the school is actually located in the belfry of an old Jesuit church that was built in like the 16th century. So you climb up all these like sick limestone and like um, sandstone stairs to get up to this classroom. It was the coolest thing ever. And then I moved back um, actually to Kentucky. I was chasing a brunette. Um, we're now married. So like that worked out. Um, and I just, I still didn't know what I was going to do. The plan was to kind of crash here for a year as she finished her undergraduate degree at UK. Um, I figured, yeah, why not? You know, the plan was always to move back to DC. You know, my family lives in Winchester, Virginia or Maryland. And um, there's a lot of job opportunities in DC for what I was supposed to do professionally. And so I just started looking for jobs, got back into the restaurant world. So I was just serving at a local restaurant group. That's awesome to work for, um, making pretty good money, buying myself lots of bourbon. So all the good money I made was like subsequently spent on wine and bourbon uh, about as fast as I could humanly spend it. 
Um, so we were basically constantly broke, just figuring that out. And then, um, my partner, you know, Amanda, she told me she wanted to go get her master's. So she got her master's in public policy, um, didn't dig it and then decided she wanted to go to law school. So we just kept staying in Kentucky. So I just kept bartending and, um, you know, enjoying food and beverage. I had the opportunity to open up a really cool bourbon bar in Lexington called old bourbon County with bluegrass hospitality group. Um, and at that point I was just, I was already hooked. You know, I'd been collecting whiskey since really like 2010, 2011. Um, but this, it was just like the final straw. I just had access to too many single barrel picks back then. You know, we were all waiting in line for everything and you could still do that and like get bottles. Um, it was just, it was awesome. And then we're now married and we have a kid and, and we can't get single barrels anymore and everything is a pain in the ass. And um, there you go. When I first moved to Kentucky, you could find like squat bottle old rips still on the shelf here. That was like super normal. And there were dust. You could literally still walk into liquor stores and buy dusties. Um, that's not really a thing anymore. Oh, I know. And that totally makes sense why Bucky was giving you crap. So I, I get it. Now that you said bluegrass hospitality, it all makes sense. Um, but Bucky is a phenomenal beverage manager. I think I, I still know probably a little bit more about whiskey than he does. And I mean, <laughs> he, he probably knows more about Jeeps and poker than I do. So I will give him that. And jorts. I've seen more of that man's thighs than I've ever wanted to see thighs on anyone. Um, they're great. I mean, he, he goes to the gym a lot. He never misses leg day. Um, those, those shorts are holding together by prayers and just sheer willpower at this point, I think. It is very important never to miss leg day and his legs are thick and that's why he is an inspiration to me. Um, and I can't wait to do a pick with him and hang out with him sometime here soon in Nashville. Bucky and I talk a lot funny and we actually have never met. So it's, uh, he, he is one of my heroes. He's a good dude and I, I can't wait to hang out with him, but I could, totally tell that you are smarter than him and <laughs> no nah, man he has a really cute little girl too you need to go up and meet her she's like the cutest so he, you have to hang around our instagram more but uh that's all i'm saying is is come <laughs> hang out see sophie um one thing i do want to say though is it's funny we have similar stories now i ended up going and my day job is in technology and People really don't want to hear about me, but I was totally going the law route. I was thinking of doing the international policy program at Kentucky to go get my master's and ended up going into radio and working at ESPN and the horse racing radio network in Lexington, realizing that didn't pay anything and then going off. And, uh, you know, it's one of those high status, low paying jobs. People think the media is like this cool thing. And then you realize like, Oh, you get nine bucks an hour. Yeah. And you're the manager of two radio stations. Like that sounds like a fun time. So I ended up going off into tech and the podcast is a way for me to kind of scratch that itch without, you know, having to get rid of the income that my day job provides me. Um, but it's funny cause I was p political science and philosophy were my degrees. And then I ended up not doing anything with them. So it's, it's funny how that all works out. And once you get a degree, I really think people just want to know that you know how to think. And as long yeah. as you have that piece of paper, they're like, okay, he knows how to think. 
Well, political science, I mean, that's, you know, with conflict too, it's just a really good critical thinking degree. And I think it makes you better in your personal life as well, like talking about situations and being able to express like root causes of frustrations and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I never thought I would be doing this, but it's also not the craziest leap. Um, I still like you, it's like to scratch my itch. I still read a lot of really weird nonfiction and like foreign policy, like articles. And like, I'm constantly like hitting up the Atlantic or like FP, like foreign policy. And it's, yeah, if you're into that, I think there's some great reads out there. If you're not into that, man, I, I don't know. Was it like something John Sparks or I don't know, actual like fiction writers. So I give you a recommendation there, but I'm out. I am a hundred percent with you. I don't read fiction and most of the time, like people think I am a dorky dad and yes, I was a, a football player, all that stuff, but I'm a huge dork and I'm most of the time watching Netflix documentaries at night and things like that. Like I'm always watching something nonfiction. I'm not sitting there. Now, some of that stuff is pretty bad. Like, I don't know if you've just watched bad vegan. That I is. Have, I've heard about it. I mean, we haven't been doing that with bourbon launch coming up. I've been, uh, I've just been grinding and trying to get the sleep I can. And I've been, when I'm stressed, I read fiction. Um, I will admit that I read a lot of like fantasy and sci-fi just burners when I'm like trying to just like unplug. Um, so I don't stress myself out more. <laughs> now I have, right. I, and I think here's, this has nothing to do with bourbon y'all, but I think it's a great we'll conversation. We'll, we'll circle back to it. But I think there's a great part where like really good fiction influences nonfiction. And those are the fiction books I'll read. Like somebody will be like, you really need to like the grapes of wrath or, you know, you're reading to kill a mockingbird, something like that. Like, and some of those are social commentary that is influencing your popular popular culture, but it's not necessarily nonfiction. Oh man. It reminds me of, if you haven't read, is it Eric Larson? I think who did the devil in the white city. And then he has a new book on Churchill that's called the splendid in the vile. And it's both fiction and nonfiction. Oh so man. He's about the world's fair in Chicago and it's like really well done, but it's like underpinned by a story about a serial killer. Right. So it's, heavily recommend all of his books I'm reading this one file and it's I'm a big Churchill fan anyway because he's a really easy guy to be a fan of um but the it's it's worth it are you Amazon ordering it right now no I am yeah. I am looking things up um yeah yeah we're starting dad's drinking bourbon book club um that can be the first one and we'll just jump on it we should do like a monthly live where we read a book and then talk about it but <laughs> I'm sold man let, let us know Though the one I really want to read, and I haven't had enough time to do it right now, I am a huge, huge fan of Chuck Klosterman, and I know his book, The Nineties. It, I mean, it might have come out two years ago, for all I know. But uh, that's the late, like that's one that has been on my mind. And then I did just finish the Patriots book. Oh, did you did you dig it? I haven't read it yet. I had it recommended to me. I want to read it. I absolutely did. And if you think about like, here's the thing I am originally from new England and I know a lot of people hate the Patriots. You would find this funny with your degrees. The thing about Belichick is he learned how to coach at Annapolis. 
So everything that he does, people think that he's being a jerk, but it's like he was taught how to do everything from the military. Regiment, consistent, yeah. yeah, deliverable, next man up, like just really thoughtful. Yeah. And if you look at how he coaches, and, and one of the things I've had to do being in sports radio is you take your bias out of it and you have to be able to look at things subjectively. So if you take your bias out of it and you're not just like, oh, he's a jerk, they're cheaters, blah, blah, blah. If you look at what he does and how he coaches, it completely makes sense that he was at Navy. Yeah. But we digress. <laughs> the, the, these are what lives are all about. They're a lot of fun. Um, I do find it. So so originally, this mash bill, you, you brought up Marianne. Yeah. Marianne is awesome. She yeah. had a huge, huge decision or, or vote in the decision-making process for what the mash bill was at that time, where oh, yeah. things were selected, where the cooperage yep. was, all that huge nod to her for that. I will say that everybody I talked to as well, like Sean Joseph's raves about you and your blending and everything, even when you were blending his MGP, um, he has had nothing but great things to say about you over the years. So I am so happy to actually get the chance to talk to you right now. I I think having an, a kick-ass distiller and a kick-ass blender just makes the whole thing go a lot simpler. Um, yeah. But I do want to ask you, what is your thought process when you're blending? Because I always ask people, some people are like, oh, I just take barrels, I put it together and I figure it out. But everybody, I think, does it a little bit differently. Yeah, I mean, frankly, I, I'm pretty spoiled. You know, the earliest, like when we were working on some of those early pinhook blends, you know, Marianne, like bourbon and rye um, really helped us like get that dialed in. So she kind of showed us some of the processes that she had used with Brown Foreman, um, which is basically building smaller components into a larger hole was kind of the basic principle of it. So instead of working with, you know, hundreds of variable inputs, you take these individual barrels and you build them into smaller subsets. Um, so really like with her guidance on that one, you know, we started really practicing with Pinhook and working on those goods for a while. And, you know, Sean, to his credit, has an insanely good palate. So I had to work really hard because otherwise Sean would have made me redo it probably. Um, even then, better chef. He's an even better. Have you seen his cooking videos on Instagram? Dude, I, I wish I looked like him. Like, I'm good at cooking. My, like, my partner, Durs, is, like, at cooking. Um, Sean is just – Sean's another dude, man. That outdoor grill he has is rad. He does a really good job on it. Um, but I think the kind of principle was, you know, there's a lot of different ways to go to, to blend. Um, and, you know, when we were working on some of our clients' goods, at that point, I was handwriting everything. You know, I'm a very, like – physical muscle memory guy. So I'd handwrite all my notes, which helps me internalize them and remember them better. So I was literally going through every single barrel, every single time, and then building these little five barrel blends and then building them up into a larger, what we'd call a composite. And it's kind of a ballpark on what your final blend on dumps going to look like. Cause we aren't working with idealized volumes. Like I don't know the weight of those barrels to guess how much you're dumping you're treating them all as an equitable good, which is not exactly how barrels end up. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it's close, right? Like yeah. the goal is 
like we've yet to have a blend that wasn't better than the composite upon dump, which is an absolute miracle. Um, you also have barrels identified in case it's not good that you can back modify. Um, but yeah, I mean, we just started building it up and we were working by handwritten notes and it was taking forever to do it. And, you know, I think we were working up some really good goods. I'm only jealous because Sean's now blending like older MGP and he made me blend all of his two-year-old MGP, which is really hard to do, especially when his goal was like, it needs to be the best whiskey anyone's ever had. And I'm like, man, this is, this is two-year-old MGP. Like it's only going to get so good. Um, now he's working with like six-year-old and I'm frankly jealous. It's, it's not cool, man. Um, well, one of the things that I'd say about him and, and the pinhook blends and what I think you did a very good job about is I've always said, you know, being a sommelier, a huge wine influence yeah. to, I think, the pinhook brand. And it was actually funny. Sean was on our show way back in the day, and we literally stayed up till three in the morning <laughs> around Zeke's yeah. kitchen table when we were talking. And I'm talking about like... I was so excited to have Pinhook on and I like I had lined it up. It was right before the Derby. I was all excited because I have the horse racing radio network tie <laughs> and I'm like, here's this brand. They got a horse and all that. And then Zeke is a huge Willet head. Yeah. So all of a sudden, like we're sitting down and I'm like, so Sean, like the horse stuff. And he's like, yeah, I know nothing about horses. I used to be a char number four and then, oh, no. yeah, and char, then like, char number four, Will, it's amazing. And then uh, Zeke was like, wait, you did the will it with Linnell. And then like, we all became very good friends, but it was, we were talking about, you know, all the original pin hooks were 90 proof. Yeah. And Sean just said, as a wine guy, I just thought you pick your proof and ran with it. And like all these things, you can see the evolution of, of his brand and not to talk about pinhook too much while we're talking about this, but I think the, the blending of pinhook is very balanced and it takes a, a, you know, so I almost think it's not the goal to make it the best thing you've ever tasted in your whole entire life. The goal is to make it an insanely good drinker that yeah. doesn't have a high, it doesn't have a low, just like a wine, it's going to stay right here and it's going to be so balanced. Um, but I forget the name of it, the orange one, or it was pink. It was the pink, um, the oh, high, the, that high proof. Yeah. yeah. Killer yeah. job. It's like cereal. It is killer. Great job on that one. Thank you. Well, I think with that stuff and, you know, with our own whiskeys, I think we learned a lot about just balance you know i think when we were seeing like we're in this interesting space and i think you know you coming from a football background and being into sports i always say like we're not the uk's and the dukes of the world we're not a massive school we don't only have five-star recruits like and these big massive brands that are doing such a volume you know max shapiro has like millions of barrels you know they have millions of dollars for marketing and they have millions of dollars for branding um we're just a lot leaner and meaner than that so we're like we're, we're your Cinderella, right? Like we're your school that has a couple good players. Like we're Murray state, like how <laughs> John Morant's on that team and no one really knows why. And it's definitely not like probably an NCAA violation. That'd be weird, but you know, like, we're able to pull in some legit talent and the way we're able to win against those big brands. And I know Sean's always agreed with it is we have to work harder on the product side and we have to kind of look at what we don't, what we think they're missing, like what we think their weaknesses or their blind spots are. And for us on the blending side, it was, you know, you see some awesome LTOs come out that are gorgeous. 
and they're variable year to year. And they're always cool when you're always chasing down because you want to try, you know, the Four Roses limited edition 125th against the 130th and the, you know, Al Young. And you want to head to head all these really cool blends. But then their flagship products are super consistent. And every single one's identical. And that's awesome. Like, I mean, I think, you know, I'll bite my tongue because when we're at a million cases, it would kill me to blend this way. But we look at this kind of flexibility and this nimbleness. You see it always have been a, has always been a success for winemakers. You know, when you have winemakers like Andre Mack and um, Thomas Rivers Brown and Mike Smith and Manfred Krankel and like all these phenomenal winemakers, they treat it as an agricultural good where they embrace that uniqueness that they're getting in that moment. And, you know, I think we just leaned into it really heavy and we said, hey, instead of being quality, you know, consistency being the number one quality that we're looking for, we were like, what if we just wanted some stylistic continuity? You know, I always like big noses. You know, I want it to be lavish and posh on the nose. I want the palate to be really round and jammy. And I never want you to drink a whiskey that you go, (laughs) like they're out there and some of them are awesome. Um, but I think there's a need for approachability and balance in our industry where, you know, working in, a, in the bar world for so long, like we try a product and you're like, wow, that's super weird. And I could sell an ounce of that to somebody by the poor, but they would never finish the bottle. Yeah. You know, in some ways, I think some of that's a fault. You know, I think if you can't sit down and spend time with a bottle, it's kind of a shortcoming of the good. So you know, the idea was let's blend really lavish, drinkable whiskeys that people are going to enjoy that are stylistically appropriate, um, that still got a little sass. You know, there's still some layers and some fun stuff going on. Um, but if you if you only get out the bottle to show your friends how weird it is, it might not be the best bourbon. Well, you talk about the, the qualities that are there and, and also going back to the whole wine thing. You know, a lot of the wine community, it's it's talking about the vintages. It's yeah. talking about this year of this brand was really good, and this year was a little bit better than this. You know, not all batches are going to be the same. I think you can't just do, you can't out Max Shapira, Max Shapira. You can't out Four Roses, Four Roses. You can't out Turkey, Turkey, yeah. and nobody's going near Buffalo Trace. So yeah. how, what are the differentiators? What is the thing that is going to set you apart? And I think that's a refreshing way to look at it yeah. because it's not doing the same thing. And that actually goes back to what we were talking about with Sean at the table that night. We we're like, why are you doing 90 proof? You know, every release could be different and it's you're pigeonholing yourself if you, you know, cause when you blend those barrels together and you're doing that, that micro blend, it might be screaming to you. 97.7 proof is yep. the one that we want to do for this batch. And if I go to my typical, say, I just picked 93, well, this could suck at 93. And then you're sitting there going, crap, I got to release this yeah, and, and you- instead of it's like, you yeah. know, it's like having a child. And sometimes you got to let that kid tell you what they need rather than you try to tell the kid what they need. Yeah, man, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you, when you're blending, you can back into a proof. Like if you need to proof match, you can, but I think what you lose is the, 
you're aiming for the bell curve at that point. Like you're trying to get it as close to profile without losing a lot of nuance, but it's still, it's still really hard to do and it's hard to do well. And the other thing I think when you're talking about that perspective with young whiskey is in the importance and embracing the whiskey at the age it's at in that moment. Like, you know, when everybody's thinking older is better, you know, I think of it just like raising this newborn man, like every, every month's been super different and it has the things about it that are awesome. And it has the things about it that are challenging. But I think that's what we miss as a community when we're not looking at two, three, four, five-year-old bourbons as really cool goods. Like, yeah, it's not going to drink like a 20-year-old. Like, yeah, your eight-month, your eight-month, uh, like your eight-month-old baby isn't, can't drive. Like, so if you're expecting him to be 16, like, obviously that's not going to happen. It's the same in bourbon. If you're trying a four-year-old and thinking it's going to drink like a 20-year-old, they're just dim- it's just different points in time. And I think that's where price really comes into play. Yeah. And if you're pricing accordingly for that young stuff, it's too many people and too many craft houses feel the need to get some revenue back. Yep. So they'll charge 80 bucks for a two-year-old whiskey, and you just can't. You're not going to build the loyal base going to... 80 bucks for a two-year-old whiskey and then you find those brands eventually come back down and i don't want to be people rail on us and say we talk about price too much it and price is what is price it is perceived value what are people willing to pay for your product and i think there is this emerging category that really has not i mean there were I think the the needles moved right where it used to be the the 30 and under were those affordable drinkers that were really coming out um and and they're still there right they're the staples and that's where you're never going to beat the heaven hills and the turkeys yeah you're not going to undercut dan like i'm going to ruin this <laughs> or like old very old barton like you're not getting under that like 15 dollar a liter price point it, it's just not feasible yeah and for those of us that want you know, a pour at the end of the night, like that's probably where we're going. But I think there's this emerging category and this is where the craft houses are really finding themselves at 30 to $50 whiskey. And y'all are priced at 50 bucks, but you take a look at this bottle and you take a look at what went into this bottle and you're holding this bottle. It doesn't feel like a $50 whiskey. And I'm not saying, please don't go raise your price, but <laughs> I mean, well, we don't intend to, I think that's, what's so cool about like, you know, our founding partner, Will, the vision was always to make it a cost appropriate product, you know, with our rye being 40 bucks for, you know, often a rye over four years old, but the average age being over four, but the minimum age statement being about three and a half, like it over delivers, you know, we want to price appropriately and we want to over deliver like nothing bums me out more, you know, going back to Sean, one of my favorite Sean interactions was him. He was really upset about an Instagram post where somebody was blasting one of the bottlings and they ended it being like, this doesn't drink like a $90 bottle. And he responded, well, that's because it's a $35 bottle. They bought it on the secondary market. And it's and like, that's one of my favorite quotes. Cause like when you're thinking about like what we do, like this is a $50 bottle. I think it drinks insanely good for 50 bucks if this is $200 a bottle, like don't, don't buy it. It's not supposed to be that price. Like put some money in your kids, like college account, like put some money in your 401k 
find it for 50 bucks. You know, we're 55 bucks at the distillery this Saturday. So we don't make our retailers mad. I think price is important, you know, for a lot of Americans, for sure. Well, and even just where do I have to put there? I'm like, how do I get it in focus? So it's not too shiny, but even the top, like this is metal y'all like this is, there are things that they could do. They could have just made that wood and that is an easy feature that you could have changed the detail in the bottling on the glass, um, as well as, you know, the medallions you have on here, uh, the care that you're putting in to, you know, even the sticker, right? The sticker is raised so you can actually kind of feel the brick as you're, you're on there or feel the stone. It's not brick. It's late for me too, but (laughs) I would just say that, you know, it's one of those things that if you're going to buy like, and let me say this a little bit differently because Zeke and I will, will talk differently about this. And he's kind of like, doesn't care about the marketing as much. And I say, it's like, you're getting an email from somebody at work or you're getting a presentation from somebody at work. You want to know that they took time in putting that into the presentation. If you want to hear what message they have to say, it's also the advice I give to other podcasters if your audio sucks, nobody's going to listen to what you have to say at the end of the day. You have to make sure you have clean audio first, and then people will decide if they find you entertaining. The whiskey has to look good first, and then you decide whether or not you like what's in the bottle. Yeah, I mean, there's at least a minimum threshold. I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Like with craft producers, you know, if you're not putting any time into your bottle, it's going to be really hard to grow, you know. I think we're very fortunate, especially with like podcasts out there now and different forums and Facebook groups. Like there's a lot of information in the connoisseur and enthusiast space. Um, But I'll tell you, there's still not a ton of consumer information out there. Like we meet people every day that are like, oh, I've never seen that bottle. or Like, oh, that's so cool. Or do you like this bourbon? Like that's my favorite question on tours is people are always be like, what's your favorite bourbon? I'm like, man, I dig a bunch of single barrel picks. Like that's mainly what I drink now. But if you're getting into bourbon, like here's the other brands you should check out. And, you know, they're like, I never picked that up. And you're like, well, you should. And, you know, some of it's related to branding and aesthetic. Like it's not what you're looking to grab from a store. I mean, look at like Willett's pot still bottle, like Rowlands Creek and Noah's Miller, like insanely good bourbons. Willett pot still is like not my cup of tea, but like people buy the heck out of that bottle. Cause it looks funky for like gifts. Oh, I'm going Noah's mill all day. All day. It, you know, and I remember it used to be 50 bucks. Like you could find it easily for 50 bucks and some Johnny drum. And now all, all of it. What? That's that good Johnny drum 15 is that good Johnny drum. Oh man. And back like even, even heaven Hill, like you could find Ezra on the, the I kind of put those in the same category. Like the things you used to be able to find like Ezra, pure Kentucky, Noah's mill, all that kind of stuff. And, it just everybody went and got it. <laughs> but yeah, they kind of figured that one out. And I think in like 2024, everyone was like, Oh wow, this is a really good bourbon and started clearing it. Yeah. It is the the pot still is weeded now. That's what somebody know, just said. I don't know that. No idea. I am not reporting that as news. I don't yeah. know. 
Yeah, I man, I think I know some stuff, but I'm not sure on that one. You got to ask Drew. I do not know. That is not confirmed. I am just seeing what my friend Kyle is writing down below. But I want to go back to this whiskey, and I keep calling. I I want to go back to this bourbon. Um, yeah, this this is bourbon. We previously were selling rye whiskey. Yeah, now it's selling a little bourbon, which is pretty exciting. I mean, bourbon is whiskey, so I'm not wrong. I'm just not right. But the nose on this is incredible. And I know that you said when you blend, you like to have a a big nose. And I've just been sitting here having this open and letting it really just air out. And I'm not like this funky guy who believes all this different stuff about neck pores. Is this going to be the neck pour Instagram video? Oh, no. Neck pores are not a thing. Neck. I could I can explain why they're not a thing, but I'm not in the mood. No, I just their Instagram live. I have a friend who owns a brand. I will just say, and I didn't love one of his batches, and I called him up to tell him that I didn't love one. Of, and he goes, "That's just the neck pour," and I was like, "You're <laughs> full of shit." I love it. Huge. I mean, sometimes young whiskey can be tight, and it just needs to all volatilize. But that's put it in a glass and have it do its thing. The, the bottle's not the cause. No. And anybody who says neck pour is a thing. like neck pours are not a thing. Y'all just let's get past it. Sometimes just like a wine, it's good to let it breathe in the glass for a minute. Let the, the vapors, you know, come up. That's why glasses are designed a certain way. Um, but neck pours are, are not a thing. The one thing I will say is going back to, where you talk about the different whiskeys and, and those two-year-old whiskeys. The only thing I would say is I hate the citrus note of the two, you know, like young whiskey's fine if it's blended yeah. right. But when you get that citrus part of it and I just taste it and I go, oh yeah, that's youth. Like it's, it's really hard at that age, like anything sub three, like, dealing with things that eventually become orange zest or lemon zest or lemon peel. Um, I think at that two-year-old mark, you fight a lot of more of like a citronelle tone. Yep. Kind of like synthetic. Um, it can often be a little like ethyl bright. So it reminds me a lot of like, almost like the candles you burn to get mosquitoes away, which is like less than ideal. It's the um, citronella. It's not the... It's not the actual citrus. It's not what it's going to grow up to be. And it's like, and then when you get that corn that you feel like it's half cooked, like it's the popcorn, you put it in the the microwave, not all of it cooked. So you still get some of those kernels that taste like, ah, it's like bad grits. Yeah. (laughs) A hundred percent. But that's not what this is. The nose on this is absolutely incredible. And you know, I do get some citrus fruit and that's why I was bringing it up, but it's not, it is a very developed, um, it's, yeah, a, it's almost like a lemon meringue or lemon zest. Like I get a lot of like honeycomb on the nose too, which is a citrus leaning kind of sweet tone. hundred percent honeycomb. Um, but it's not, you know, I would say, and, and this is something you can debate me on too, but I also think just like mouthfeel, your nose can be thick or thin. Yep. I would say this is a very mid um, yep. nose. It's not, it's not, sometimes you taste it and you're like, oh man, or sometimes you nose it 
and this is the fun thing about the live. I am just going to put this one out. Normally, yeah. that's something I would edit out. And as we're doing this, I'm like, damn it, I can't edit that because I'm just putting this out. But when I nose it, I'm like, oh, man, the taste on this is going to be super creamy. And it this is very, you know, going back to the whole balance thing. Yeah. I'd say the nose is very balanced as well as the mouthfeel. The mouthfeel isn't super creamy where it leaves that coating on your mouth, but there is like that nice cereal aspect of it too that I love that I was getting from the pinhook stuff. Yeah. I, I do just, it is a, and, and the nose just gets more complex every single time I bring it up to my nose. And I'm saying that like, again, y'all, it's a $50 whiskey. Don't read into that like, oh my God, this could go up against the, you know, it is just for 50 bucks. It is a super solid pour. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's, we're very grateful. You know, I've been able to work um, on this blend with John Brown, who's our head of, who's our research and development manager, but also the head of our quality side. And, you know, we were able to bring some big data into this. You know, we took a lot of group to, you know, sort through these barrels and to be more effective with our blending processes. And I think out of it, um, we got this first blend and it's just, it's layered, it's approachable, it's round, it has a good body to it. You know, it's kind of everything we thought people would be excited about. You know, we're going to have everyone from your hardcore bourbon nerd down all the way to your, you know, your soccer mom that's just going to grab one of these off the shelf because she's loved our gardens for the last six years. And I think everybody's going to be pretty stoked to get a try it. I definitely get a lot of baking spice, cereal, oat. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like an uh, it's like a baked oatmeal, like a little bit of golden uh, golden raisin. It's almost oatmeal cookie esque on the palate, which I don't think is a bad thing. No, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. And I, I think the finish is where the spice really comes through, and it almost leaves like I like it. Because again, going through that balance thing, your nose or your tongue is left tingling, but it's not like a super pop roxy tingle. Yep. It's just that slight little tingle, you know, it lingers. So it's like the finish lingers down your throat, but also in the front of your mouth because you just get that nice little, it's not too pronounced and it's not enough that it's going to scorch your tongue. Yep. It's just, it stays and even. You know, it's been a minute since I had my last sip and my tongue still has that nice little, nice, warm cinnamon spice tingle to it. You know, I think some of that's filtration related. You know, we're, we're nut jobs when it comes to filtration. No chill filter. We don't even own a chill filtration system on site. No carbon. This is literally just a press filter. So I think you're able to keep a lot of those fats and aminos on the palate and in the whiskey. So it really helps round out your finish. It is super good. This is 50 bucks. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm hyped that you're, that you're excited about it. That's, we've been so nervous, like, especially with me and John on the blending side, you know, we have, we get to show off all the hard work the rest of the distillery does. You know, the distillery team makes amazing whiskey. The warehouse team does an awesome job taking care of it. The barrels do whatever the hell they want to do. And then we get the luxury of putting it together and then talking about it. 
So, um, yeah, I've been, we've been really nervous. So we'll take all the praise on this you can give us. Well, especially because everybody knows Zeke and I kind of have a reputation where we will say in a very, very nice way if we don't like it. Um, and also say like, Hey, I like it, but not where it's priced or whatever it is. We on it, you know, the whole thing we say is being a dad and knowing that you are putting your hard earned money into something. It's very important for me to not just give praise just because, you know, it's like be respectful to the people that are making it, but also be honest. I will say that I think this is a really solid drinker. I enjoy it uh, where it is. This is 98 proof, but it doesn't feel, I mean, I would say it even drinks less. Like you're not. And it goes exactly back to your point, too, where you said you don't never want to have a whiskey and, and a bourbon where somebody drinks it and they're, oh, you know, like at the end. People dig it. I mean, that's a style. Like I've met people who are like, I want my whiskey to punch me in the throat. I'm like, not me. People are into different stuff. <laughs> yeah, it is not like that at all. It is a, just a really, really solid, just nice, balanced pour that. Yeah. Really just, I mean, at 50 bucks, you can't go wrong with it. And it looks nice. It's going to be one that if you have it on the shelf and people are going to look at it there and say, what's that? You're going to go, oh, it's Castle and Key. And I didn't even know they had their own stuff out yet. And then you taste it. And I think they're going to be very surprised. Yeah. No, I think what's fun about it, too, is like it's almost cash strength, you know, in that warehouse B this was from the first three floors. So at barrel strength, this was 100.5 in proof. So this is only two and a half proof points lower than barrel strength. Just where it tasted the best. Oh man. So I didn't even know that about old Taylor. So it kind of has that MGP esque. It's a brick warehouse, super high humidity, super high airflow. So we ended up, um, we lose about, well, in this case, six and a half to, a couple proof points on the first three floors. That's why a lot of our rise, like the new batch of rye that's being released this year that doesn't technically exist. will come back on and hype it up. Um, at barrel strength, it was 115. So we're bottling it at 113. I'll ruin the surprise for you. It's still 40 bucks. I think it's all. Awesome. I mean, we know the rye is 40 bucks and it's a great rye where it is. Yeah. So are there other ricks there that are not like that? So you're, yeah, so we're seeing the top two floors of Warehouse B are picking up proof. So some of our single barrel rise that we've been doing, you know, they'll go from about 118 to the highest I've seen is like 123, 124. Uh, we also have a massive concrete warehouse on site um, that the lower floors will have proof drop on them. We assume, I mean, we haven't done a lot of testing on it yet. And then we have a couple off-site warehouses now because we've been making really good whiskey. And so people want us to make whiskey for them and age it for them too, uh, which has been awesome. I mean, when I first started, we thought the 35,000 barrels we renovated on site was going to be enough forever. Um, Will also promised me we were going to grow ponytails, blast the Grateful Dead, and only make a barrel a day. Yeah, we make 100 a day now, so I don't know where that got out of hand, but um, it's been going good. I mean, that's, you know, about 36,000 a year. And the sad thing is, is already you're probably going to need a bigger boat. 
yeah, we, we need more warehouses. We need to lay down more whiskey for ourselves. I mean, I think this batch one is going to be basically instantly sold out, um, which is great. I mean, we're excited about it. I'm only nervous about it because, man, I want people to try it. So open them if you buy them. Yeah. I mean, that's the point of whiskey, especially at this cost price. Like, why would you get this and leave it on the shelf? This is one that you got to open up, drink. Um, I find it interesting with the different proofs because are you thinking that you're going to leave those higher floors to be more single barrels and then eventually, or will you do some of the blending together and come up with something in between? Blending together. I mean, we kind of view it like a chef's cabinet, you know, or going to the store, like there's a ton of different flavors throughout that warehouse and we're going to put them together and make the best whiskey we can. And if it's from high floors, if it's from low floors, you know, the only thing we'll guarantee is that it's, it's going to be good. Well, I really appreciate having you on. I know I've had you on for over an hour at this point. It is 11 o'clock for you. You need to go to bed because you need to go on more podcasts. You need to go on more lives. I know you have some more scheduled this week. You're a busy man. All I could say is that I really can't wait to hang out with you in person because I feel like there's a lot uh, whiskey related, not whiskey related that we'd have a lot of fun talking about. Both. I'm not fun at dinner parties unless you really like art, comics, cats, uh, whiskey, wine. If you're not into those primary five, like I'm just not really helpful. And the Um, good thing is like politics, we, we do not, as a point of reference, we do not talk politics on dad's drinking bourbon just because it's not the right forum. It's not the right. There's a ton of other podcasts that do a really good job of it. That's dad's drinking bourbon while talking politics. It's your spinoff. It's a whole different thing. And that is, yeah, hundred percent. That That is a uh, something else. And Bucky, I am not free April 5th. I <laughs> unfortunately have to, I know there's probably a pick, but I have something going on that I have to take the Friday off that week. So I couldn't take so the fifth off too. I'm staying for Bucky's pick that morning. And the second they determine that barrel, I'm actually driving down to Nashville. We have an event in Nashville that night. Well, ISO invite and we'll yeah, hang I, out. But it is, I mean, they, they booked me out hard, so I can't, I, it's going to be awesome. The event's really cool. I can't remember where it's at. We'll talk. We'll, we'll message each other. Hey, come on out. But I would say that, uh, dinner, what I, what I like about politics is I am able to talk about politics the same way I would talk about football. Yep. And that is what's fun at dinner party. If you get somebody who's the same, right? If you get yep. somebody that is ideologically entrenched, then it's yep. not as good of a conversation. Yeah. I was raised by my like mentor in life. His name Marino de Medici. He was a Washington Post political correspondent. So he's basically interviewed every president, like all the way back to like JFK. And he's at dinner, you were expected to talk politics and you were expected not to get your like gruff up about it. Like <laughs> it was like, it was very analytical and intellectual. And like, it was, you better know what's going on in the news and you better know history and all the way those things interact. And if you get your feelings all tied up in it, that's the opposite of a productive conversation. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think a lot of people need to take that same philosophy into whiskey as well, because, you know, everybody wants to say that you drink it this way and this stuff sucks and this stuff's good. And guess what? Everybody's palate is different. 
everybody's palate's different. There's a reason there's 10,000 bottles on those shelves now. Find something you love, t- share it with others. If they don't like it, that's cool too, man. Not everybody's a Cats fan. That's okay. <laughs> and try... Some people are George Mason fans, unfortunately. Yeah, that was the year before I went to school. So I missed the final four and then Larinaga yeeted out to go down to the University of Miami and get paid. Good for him. Um, You know, he was an awesome coach. Um, It would have been really cool if he would have stayed and made another run, but it's cool. Yeah, you're not bitter at all. No, no, Larry Birdsong's an OG and I hope he still is like in the G League somewhere, like getting his game on. Um, That's a deep George Mason basketball reference. Well, what won't be a deep cut is this Castle and Key. I think a lot of people are going to pick it up. Uh, is it going to be, because there's probably not that much of it, and we know that, you know, if you think about it, 100 barrels a day, what is the distribution? It says, now, sorry, I know the answer to this. It's going to be in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, New Jersey, New York, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Washington, and Wisconsin. Yep. So for those people that were curious where this is going to be, that's where it'll be. And you can find Castle and Key at Castle and Key on Instagram. They're having a big release this weekend. You can get some of these at the distillery if you want to go over there. It's a beautiful distillery. They have great merch. Um, yeah, we're doing food trucks this weekend, cocktails. It's going to be awesome on site. All I ask of you, if you don't mind, is just be patient. If we sell out, I mean, we're doing our best. Everybody's looking for it. You know, just be uh, considerate about our amazing hospitality team members. You know, they are working as hard for you as humanly possible to make sure you get um, And then if we run out, we run out. And then you'll just have to hang out with me and drink gin or a rye single barrel we're putting out, which is an awesome option too. Um, yeah, just come on out on Saturday if you want a chance at it. And then otherwise, check your local retailers and bars. We want people to try it. Can't wait. And uh, find them on the Grams too at Castle and Key. Brett, what are you on the, your, your Castle and Key, Brett? Yeah, I had to make like an actual work account. I was only using <laughs> Cat's Facebook account and like I'd comment on like our official Castle and Key threads with answers and it'd be like oh yeah you know we actually distilled a 135 like for and then we dropped down to 107 for idealized entry and it was from my Cat's account and then like our social media team like put the kibosh on it so um, now I have like an official Instagram I don't even know what it is I think it's like Castle and Key underscore Brett or something yeah it's, it's Castle and Key underscore Brett. Yeah, you're better at it than I am. I just know because I had to invite you to be on the pod. Yeah. Or, so anyways, um, go find this release. There's two batches that are out. You could go ahead and find us on Facebook at Dad Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad Drinking Bourbon. Please leave us an open and honest review just like we leave open and honest reviews about the whiskey we drink. And you can also find us here in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you so much for coming brett and hopefully we'll get a pour soon i'm excited about it we'll see you in nashville cheers cheers